be dismissed. So last week we started a new series, and we we're talking about how many of us to see, see discipleship or following Jesus like climbing a ladder or going up some incline or ramp. I, I know for a lot of us we think of a walk with Jesus with that in mind. We're like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting better, I'm improving, and we, we kind of think of our life um, sort of heading down this trajectory of improvement and, and like a ladder, like a ramp, however you might want to think of it. And we talked about how um, all of us have this image of what a good Christian is supposed to be and do. Like when you first come to know Christ, there's these either direct or indirect things you, you learn about or hear about, and you're like, well, I guess I should start doing that. I should stop doing that. I should start doing that. And you start to compare yourself. And these are unhealthy habits, by the way, but these are things that we, we tend to fall into um, as young Christians. We talked about how, especially when a believer is young in their faith, they can often fall into two kinds of traps. One is becoming a meticulous rule follower and beating up on yourselves whenever you don't match up to whatever the expectations are. And the other one is just you just want to bail because you don't feel like you measure up, so you're just like, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. It's too much pressure. And so we introduced this concept last week called soul maintenance. And we said we need to do two things for our souls to be maintained as a Christian. And one, these are all based on Romans chapter 7. One is to recognize the war within you, which Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. But then secondly, it's to preach the gospel to yourself over and over and over again. So you don't, you don't just come to church to hear sermons preached to you, but you actually learn to preach the gospel to yourself daily. This is going to be part, partly how you grow. Uh, one of the main points we made last week was this. The more we grow spiritually the less holy we will feel. Now, that might sound like a depressing statement. It's not meant to depress you. But the more you grow, the more you're going to see your sin. It's meant not to depress you or drive you to despair, but it's meant to drive you to the grace and mercy of Jesus. And so that's really the idea behind that, I, that statement. And if that statement does sound depressing, this week I picked an uplifting title, and the, and the title is Good News for Losers. So it's trying to uplift you guys, you know, as I think of that. Um, but turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. And here we're going to see one of Jesus' most controversial, hard-to-understand statements. I think we can all agree that uh, the Bible is complex, right? It's hard to understand sometimes. Um, Jesus is the same. I mean, the things he says to his disciples um, after spending several years with him, even they're confused half the time about what he's referring to when he says certain things. But um, I think many of us allow the complexity of Scripture to push us away from Scripture. But here's the thing. You and I don't do that with other things, do we? We don't let the complexity of movies, music, or books like drive you from those things. Those things, that's what you find attractive about those things because they, they're interesting, right? So we don't let complexity push us away from the arts, do we? So my encouragement is to not let it drive you away from the Word of God. Like when I think of my, um, my kids are 10 and 13 now, but when I think of the books that I used to read to my son when he was like just learning how to understand language and, uh, and those books were not very interesting to me, right? Like, I'd read in these books, and he would, it's just pointing out, like, okay, that's the mailman, and that's a store, and that's, like, just basic things of life, and he would find it interesting because it was just basic 
learning. I didn't find it very interesting because what happens when you're, when you're little, when you're little, you find those basic things really interesting. But as you begin to grow and develop, you're drawn to more complexity and more abstract thought. That's just natural growth and progress. But something happens to us when it comes to the Christian life. It's like you and I, we, we love complexity when it comes to, you know, books, movies, and those kinds of things. But when it comes to the Word of God, we're like, if I don't get it or understand it, like, I'm out. I'm not even going to try. And so I want to encourage you as we look at a story today in the Gospels that has some complexity to it, and it's not very easy to understand. It's not very simple. I want to invite you um, into some depth because I think that um, you're here because you want depth. I really, I really believe that. I don't want us to have a simple faith or just a simplistic faith. And so today's story is complex, but I think it has some deep meaning to it. So look at Matthew chapter 15. Look in verses uh, 21 to 28. It says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. Okay, so Jesus has been uh, doing ministry in a predominantly Jewish area, Jerusalem. And then he is confronting the, the hypocrisy of the, of the Jewish religious elite. And then he leaves, and we're going to find out why. We're going to see why. We're about to find that out. And so he goes to a region about 60 miles away, which is less well-known, and it's mostly non-Jewish people that live there. And so to his disciples, these were pagan cities. These were unclean areas to a Jew. And so while they're there, there's this Canaanite woman who approaches him, and she asks him to heal her daughter, who's demon-possessed. Now, there are several surprising elements here in this story. The first thing is that she understands she has some understanding of the spiritual world. Her daughter's oppressed by a demon, and she understands this is a demonic influence, and so she also knows that Jesus can help her. She knows enough about Jesus to know that he can bring healing to, his, to her daughter. But then watch what Jesus does. The text in the first few verses says, Jesus doesn't even respond to her. So this woman in need comes over to Jesus and says, please come heal my daughter and Jesus doesn't even give a response to her. So that's surprise number one. Now, um, at first it says he tells her, to, it says he tells her, then, then, she go, then, they, then she goes and starts bothering the, the disciples. And then they come to Jesus and say, can you tell her to go away? She's bothering us now. And they think, well, we're just following your lead, Jesus. I mean, you, you didn't even say a word to her. And now she's bothering us. Can you please send her away? They're just following the lead of Jesus, right? But just like 2020, it gets worse, all right? Look at verse 24. It says, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, now let, just think about this for a second what he's what it sounds like he's saying this almost sounds like a racist statement now doesn't it like no no i only i only came to help my people i'm not here to help your people i'm here to help my people 
So now, twice now, Jesus has done something that doesn't sound very Jesus-like, right? First, he ignores her. Then he says this statement, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So why is he saying this? You see, it's not that Jesus doesn't care about someone who's not a Jew, someone who's a Gentile. But he came to the Jews first, and then he was going to send the Jews to the Gentiles with the gospel. So what did Jews think of the Gentiles? Well, they were enemies. They were sworn enemies. They hated each other. So Jesus could have first come to the Jews and then gone on to the Gentiles himself. But instead, he wants the Jews going to their enemies with the gospel. We can see this over in Acts chapter 26. You don't have to turn there. I'll put it on the screen for you. But listen to what Jesus says to Paul at Paul's conversion. This is crazy. Acts 26, verses 16 through 18. It says, but rise. So Paul has, or at the time his name is Saul. Saul has seen this vision of Jesus. He'd been persecuting Christians, killing Christians against the church. And now he is seen this miraculous transformation. He's been converted now based on what he has seen, and he has faith. And then Jesus says this statement to him in a vision, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So remember, Paul had a lot of enemies, right? He, he had enemies in the Jewish world. Once he became a Christian, he was going to have enemies in the Jewish world, but he also had enemies in the Gentile, Gentile world. So Jesus here tells him, I'm going to deliver you from your people, the Jews. I'm also going to deliver you from the Gentiles. Then I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. So that's true for Paul. Delivered from them so he can be sent back to them. And the same is true for the Jewish people as a whole. When they come to know Christ, the idea is you come to know Christ, understand the gospel. You're going to reach your enemies now with the gospel. So Jesus could have made it really clean and just been like, you know what? First, I'll go to the Jews for the first year and a half of my ministry. Then I'm going to go to the Gentiles. I'll just do it myself because there's too much drama between the Jews and the Gentiles. But no, what does Jesus do? He says, no, you're going to go to the Gentiles. You, the Jews, will go to the Gentiles and reach them, your enemies, with the gospel. So Paul was asked to do this mission, and so was the nation as a whole. So when Jesus says to this woman, that I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. He's not being racist. He's just saying it's not time yet. It's not time for this message to come to you. It's going to happen, but it's just not time yet. But then watch what the woman does. Look at her faith in verse 25 of Matthew 15. It says, But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered. So Jesus answers again. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Okay, now it just gets even worse, right? Like, okay, so first he ignores her, then says what seems like a racist statement, and now he's calling her a dog? 
I mean, Jews would refer to Gentiles as dogs, and it was seen as an insult. But the word here is actually not an, an insulting. Listen, in our language, don't ever call someone a dog. It's probably like a negative connotation. Um, but, uh, but Jesus actually isn't meaning this in a negative way because it's, it's more like this word, little puppy. And so put my next shot up there, you know. Um, this is actually our new puppy. We got this puppy in uh, November. I called my wife's way to cope with COVID was to get her a puppy. Um, and uh, so this is Maple, and she's a lot bigger than this now. But this was, um, you know, we, we took her, I think, down to the domain in Austin for a part of a day because we're trying to go shopping and stuff. And, man, I think there's, like, 60 people, like, petted our dog that day. It was pretty crazy. It's like, you just gave my dog COVID, thanks. Um, but this is our puppy. And so whenever uh, Jesus uses the word, it actually is more of an endearing word, more like little puppy. It's kind of an endearing thing to say. I know it doesn't, doesn't translate well to our language, but that's kind of what he means by this. And, uh, of course, you still wouldn't call that some, someone that today, right? But using the term in this way was not an insult, more of an affectionate way he's speaking with her. And so it's not that he's insulting her. He's now testing her faith. I want you to watch this. What Jesus means is that while, so as a parent, when my, when my kid's eating food at the dinner table, when they're a child, like I don't take away the food when they're still eating and just throw it to the dog, right? I, that's not what I do. It's, that's going out of order. And so that's what mean, Jesus means when he says this. We're kind of going out of order here. And so the analogy, the picture is that the children at the table are like the Jews, and the bread would be like Jesus, and the dogs are the Gentiles, or the little puppies are like the Gentiles. And he's just saying it's just not time yet for this to take place. Then look at verse 27. Again, watch her faith. It says, she says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answers her, a woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So even this woman's understanding, even this woman understands the order of things, like how things are to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. And there is so much faith wrapped up in this statement that she says back to Jesus. Again, when, um, when my son Landon was, was little, uh, my wife is a counselor, so she, has, she would have to work a couple nights a week where she'd be working at night, and I'd be you know, feeding my, my son there at, the, at his little high chair. And, and uh, as he kind of grew and, and could eat, like, regular food, somewhat regular food, I would make him these, I thought, amazing dinners sometimes. And I'd put it on the, the high chair table like I'm supposed to, and it's all divided up into edible portions for him and all that kind of stuff. And what I noticed was that he would kind of eat. Like, he would sit there and, and kind of pick at his food and put some into his mouth. But most of the time, he would just, like, throw it, or he was kind of disinterested in the food, you know. But I'll tell you, he was very interested in the food, my two dogs. Both my dogs knew what, this was, what was going to happen. They would sit on either side of him, knowing there's going to be something thrown their way, knowing something's going to fall off the high chair onto the floor. And um, they would sit under the table just watching and waiting, and if one morsel falls, they're just right there. They're ready. The dogs, my dogs, seem to care a lot more about the food 
than my son did. And so I want you to understand that. Jesus goes to the Jews, and they reject him. They don't believe that he is who he says he is, and they reject him. And so it's like Jesus has prepared this great feast for the Jewish people, and it's like they don't even care. And then he goes, this area called Tyre and Sidon, he goes to a pagan city, and there's a woman who might barely know about him, might know not much about him at all, and she has this great faith in him. And she's ready to eat. She's ready for any little morsel to fall off that table, and she's ready to scoop it up. Because she has faith that is founded upon Jesus and the fact that he is Lord and Savior. And she's, she's ready for any little scrap or morsel that falls off that table. And so what is this story, I think, really all about? Well, there's generally, I think, a couple of different kinds of people that we can encounter. One is people that I would say have spiritual privilege. And the second is people that I would say have spiritual impoverishment. Go to my next slide back there. So spiritual privilege. So people that maybe grow up in the faith, grow up in the church, your parents are Christians or practicing Christians, grandparents, you just grow up coming to church and, and doing the Christian thing. And I would call that spiritual privilege. You have access to all the information, access to programs, access to Bible studies. You're a spiritually privileged person. But so often that leads to just apathy. Like, I just don't care. I just don't care that much. I just don't care. Then there's the kind of person who, I would say, grows up in spiritual impoverishment. Like they don't have all that handed in. They don't have Christian parents or, 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 or an upbringing that you would consider to be Christian. And very often you will see this kind of person just has this desperation and this want to and desire to follow Jesus when they hear about him that the person with spiritual privileges doesn't have. And so the story about how my son ate as a kid, just barely caring about his food, I think is a great picture of us, spiritually. You know, many of us here, we're like the Israelites. We're spiritually privileged, access to all things Jesus, but we struggle with apathy and complacency. And then sometimes the person like this woman with little access, they're just desperate. They just have this desperation for him. And so to the Jews, she might be considered this loser, outcast, but then she's the one with great faith. And it's not what we would expect to happen. And I've seen this happen, I think, even in um, my time as a high school pastor, where I will see uh, students that are raised in those environments, and they just, I mean, their parents are godly parents, but for some reason, it's like the, the students, just, they just don't care. You know, it's like you just take it for granted. And then I've seen the, the student come here that their parents want nothing to do with Christ. Their parents aren't believers, aren't following Christ. And that one student, they hear about Jesus, and they just want more. And they find a way to get here. They find a way to get into the church. They find a way to get in community. I've seen that happen numerous times, and it's, it's amazing to watch. But you know what that is? Because they know what it's like 
to not have that. And so, so they want it. They desire it. And that's kind of what this woman, the, the situation that she's in. You know, I think of, when I think of desperation, um, I think I told this story uh, a few months ago in the main service. I forget if it was still doing live stream, if it was actually we did a live service. I can't recall which one. Maybe you heard it, maybe you didn't. I think it applies to this story. When I think of desperation, I think of uh, this past summer, I, we went to South Padre on a family vacation, and my daughter, for some reason, just really wanted to learn how to surf. And I've never surfed a day in my life. None of, no one else in our family has either. And, uh, and I'm thinking, I said, Sienna, you know, you don't just, like, learn how to surf in an hour, you know, an hour-long lesson. And uh, we call this guy um, who has a, has a, a business that, that teaches little kids how to surf. And it's like they're bringing out the really big boards. This is not real surfing like you picture on TV. This is like here's a big, long board. You're going to get in the surf and paddle and kind of stand up for a few seconds and then kind of fall over. That's kind of what we're talking about here. And uh, so we all got a surfboard, and this guy's showing my wife, my kids, how to do it. And I was like, listen, you know, I'm paying the money for them, not for me. I'm just going to go figure this thing out. So I go out and try to learn how to do it on the bigger waves. I'm not having much success. And then the guy who's teaching my wife and my kids, he says, hey, listen, give me 10 minutes with you out there in the bigger waves, and we'll get this thing going. I said, okay, that sounds great. So we go out there a little bit further, and we're at like the second or third sandbar out pretty far. And uh, I try to get up on the surfboard a few times, not have much success, and the waves are a bit bigger out there. And waves are, the hardest thing was like once you fall over trying to get the board back up under you. You have a leash, of course, attached to your ankle and stuff. And, um, and I was just exhausted at this point. I'm trying to paddle out past the, with the breakers, and that guy's just swimming. He's fine, right? And uh, so finally get up on this one wave, and then um, the board kind of dips in, and it flips over, and I feel the leash break. And so there's no life jacket. It's just us out there in the water, and that board is gone, right? I can't get to the board. And I realized, well, we're just going to swim into the shore then, right? So I start to swim. But the problem is there's this mad rip current, and I can feel it pulling me out. And I start to panic. I start thinking, like, oh, my gosh, we are so far out. I don't have a life jacket. I don't have a surfboard. Like, we're going to die out here in the, in the surf. And so the guys just kind of casually start swimming back, and I'm next to him. And there was a point where... I see a lifeguard truck on the beach driving by, and I almost yelled for it. I almost was like, help, you know, but then this guy was like, I, I said, I finally reached a point where I say to this guy, I say, listen, I said, dude, I think I need some help, and he goes, seriously? He comes over, and he kind of tells me what to do and all that kind of stuff, and he used to be a lifeguard himself, and, uh, and so um, we get back to shore. We're fine. I say to my family, like, did you guys see me surfing out there? It was pretty awesome, wasn't it? And, uh, and so, but, but here's the thing, why I tell you that story, because when, when are you most likely to ask for help? When you feel desperate. When you feel totally desperate. That's when you're going to reach out for help. And that's kind of how this woman was, in a place of complete desperation. And one of the things I pray against in my own children is what some have called pastor's kid syndrome. And listen, I'm terrified of it. I'm terrified that the job I have here might somehow make my kids feel just apathetic and complacent because they have this place of spiritual privilege. You know, Jesus found a greater faith in this woman 
than he did even as, in his own people. He had to go to a pagan city to find somebody with faith. Andrew Wilson says this, I believe most of us do not truly treasure Jesus until we have run out of alternatives to him, until every last option has turned up dry. So here's the reality. You and I are not going to reach out for him unless we realize how desperate, how much we need him. I think Jesus shows mercy to the ones who know they need mercy. That's who he shows mercy to. So maybe you're here, and maybe you struggle with great shame over sin. Maybe you have recurring sins that you can't seem to shake, habits that won't die, rumors from other people about your history, problems that are stemming from sins that you repented of a long time ago. I don't know what your situation is. But sometimes we confess, we repent, we turn from it and move on, but the shame can persist. And I think you need to hear, if that's where you're at this morning, I think you need to hear the words of Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 19, where it says, I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise. God has this way when he transforms people of turning shame and words of shame into words of praise. And that's what Jesus does. And so, um, how we'll do this each Sunday is we'll, we'll bring, up, uh, bring up Megan on the stage here and also Riley and Heather Ann. We're going to have some discussion on the stage. We're going to discuss the ideas that you heard about this morning. And so welcome them to the stage up here, guys. And I'm going to go drive to Tyler. Oh, okay, so I'm just going to hang out right here. In the I, guess. I don't, I don't oh, know. That sounds good. <laughs> Y'all good? Sure. Are we situated? All right, let me pull it up for a second. I'm pretty sure I just voice recorded myself to someone accidentally. You know, whenever you have your hey. phone up. That send, send it to Dave. I don't want to hear it. I don't know who I just texted. <laughs> um, okay, so first question for you guys. Um, so we talked about how the com- – how we allow the complexity of the Bible to push us away from it, but we do not do that with music, books, and movies. So why do we react that way to the Bible? Yeah, um, so this, when I was reading over it, um, when Dave first sent out these questions, I was like, I have no idea how to answer this question. Um, But this morning, it kind of hit me because we, uh, for those of you who are in the main service, we talked on uh, Corinthians 14, which is like the really complex passage about like tongues and prophecy. And I'd read over it so many times when I was reading through the Bible and I'm like, I have no idea what this means. Um, But as we got to it today, I noticed that like, despite not knowing what it meant, uh, I had like no markings or notes anywhere in that chapter. Like I hadn't done any real look or research into it um, because I was like, this is complicated. So I'm just not going to look into it. Um, But now, so that really hit me, and I think I'm realizing that the reason we do that with, with arts and that kind of thing in books and movies um, is because those sorts of things, they talk to, like, the human nature and us as a whole. Um, but, like, the latest episode of WandaVision or season two of The Mandalorian isn't going to point out all of the stuff about you that's wrong. Uh, like the Bible does. It's not going to speak to your personal sins and the things that you're going through uh, that 
that the Bible does. Um, and so I think the complexity of the Bible and everything that goes along with that is so daunting because we know that the more that we dive into it, the more it's going to reveal things about us that we don't really want to know about. Uh, whereas the things in the world are just kind of these vaguer ideas and these ideologies that don't speak to you personally. So I think that's kind of why the complexity of the Bible sort of drives us away from it as opposed to drawing us further in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was actually just reading Hebrews, um, you know, the verse where it says the word of God is a double-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit. And it is. It's convicting when you read the Bible. So sometimes you're like, I'll come back to that later. I'll figure that one out. All right. Uh, next question. God uses the Jews to take the gospel to the Gentiles, their enemies. Why do you think God would do it this way? And why, what is he trying to accomplish? Um, I also read this question and was like, I don't exactly know how to answer it. Um, but I, thinking about it more, if God had revealed himself to the Jews, we talked about like God gave them the law. They thought they knew everything. Like Jesus went to the people who thought they knew him. Like, they were the most likely to recognize who he was, and they rejected him. So for them to be the ones to be able to bring this, like, good news that, like, we got it wrong is just so crazy, and it's so humbling um, to then go on to the, like, application stuff of, like, the spiritual apathy and, like, for the people who know, like, oh, like, I don't know everything. I'm in the place where I should. Like, where Paul says, like, I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, he was the one who, like— he knew everything, and he was out there killing Christians. Um, and for him to be the one that's told, no, you're going to go to the Gentiles and tell the good news of how you didn't know everything. It's just humbling, but like exactly what we needed. Yeah, yeah. humbling is a good word for that. All right, we talked about how spiritual privilege can lead to apathy, and why does this happen, and how can it be prevented? So, yeah, I think, um, I think that spiritual privilege and the, the analogy that Dave gave of uh, Landon getting this food and kind of like, oh, I'll, I'll pick at it and I'll throw away what I don't want uh, is very similar to us because we come to expect it. And we come to, those of us that grow up in the church and come from this place of spiritual privilege, we expect it to be kind of handed to us on a plate, and we expect to, oh, come to, Sunday ch come to, to church on Sunday mornings, and we'll get our, our fill of Jesus, and then we'll go on our way and uh, just kind of get lulled into that sense of, um, I guess, security and uh, routine that we start to, to lose sight of what's of what's truly at the center of our faith and why it's so important. And um, I think part of the way to remedy that is the, the sort of, um, I guess, phrase that, that Dave said at the very beginning of the talk of um, the more, uh, basically the more, the, the more we come to understand the Bible, the more we come to understand how, uh, how much in need of Christ we are. And I think that's, the remedy to that is to dive into that complexity of the Bible and dive into those parts that are challenging that will reveal to us how much that we really need God. Um, one of my favorite, uh, I guess, examples of this is um, in, in, in Numbers, uh, there's, this, there's this verse that 
describes Moses as um, more humble than any man on the, in, in the earth. And um, I, I think part of the reason that that's the case is because Moses, is, Moses had such a close relationship with God, and he, he, he got to see God closer than pretty much anybody ever did. And I think from that, he realized how insignificant he was and how much he was truly in need of God. And so I think through coming, through, through getting a deeper understanding of that is how we remedy that, that spiritual apathy. Yeah, um, I can touch on that too. Because I mean, I, like, we grew up in this youth group and it was so funny going into college and like church shopping and like I would go into a sermon and be like, yeah, I knew that. I've actually heard it done better before and like was just critiquing this stuff like I knew everything and I've heard this before like nothing's teaching me I want it to be deeper um and it was that humbling thing of I eventually somebody like called it out in a sermon and was like some of you think you've heard this before and like before going into it like praying like God I pray that you teach me something new I know that I don't know everything about you and it had to be that purposeful like you do not know everything but watch out it was (laughs) did not realize that was it'll going. it'll get you <laughs> for sure um okay last question on the other side spiritual impoverishment can lead to desperation so when in your life did you see your need for jesus in this way okay uh so i know this is kind of a cliche answer um <laughs> with everything that's happened but 2020 for me was the worst year of my life, absolutely. Um, especially contrasted because 2019 was probably one of the best years of my life. Uh, I had, um, I graduated college and like right out of college, I had um, like four theater acting jobs that were like professional jobs back to back to back. Um, and I was in a really strong relationship and everything was going really, really well. And then 2020 hit and it was just a, a domino effect of literally everything in my life falling apart. Um, I, obviously the theater industry shut down. The job I was working at at the time, uh, we were two weeks from opening and they said, oh, we're postponing. And then everything happened and the theater industry shut down as a whole. And they're like, okay, we're not, we're not gonna be acting for the next year and a half essentially. And so I lost my entire industry. Um, My relationship ended. I moved back home with my parents. It was just everything the entire bottom fell out. And so I think uh, 2019, I was really in that space of not just spiritual apathy, but just, um, I guess, life apathy because everything was going right and I I felt totally fine and I was very much getting by on my own power and my own way of doing things. And by, by June last year, I realized I have absolutely nothing in life. And uh, it was really that point of desperation that drove me back to Christ and really diving back into that relationship more fully and finding that contentment in him uh, and the fact that despite not having anything else in my life right now, I knew that at my core, the only thing I had at that point was him. And that was such a, such a hard realization to come to, but such a relief um, and really really that desperate point um, has been a, a foundation to building my faith back up. Yeah, um, I think there's, I feel like it's multiple different moments that like have led to that desperation of, I think like sophomore year in college, I had failed 
the entrance test to nursing school by two points. I had just gotten broken up with, and I had this, like, fear that, like, I didn't, I, it was nearly like a backlash of, like, feeling like I knew everything to, like, all of a sudden, like, do I even believe God is good? Like, all of these fears just kind of piled on, like, throughout that year. Um, and I just remember, like, going to, like, break away at a and and then getting really mad halfway through and just leaving and driving home and, like, sitting in my car and, like, like yell praying out loud that, like, I don't understand. Um, and God just, like, speaking in that moment that, like, he is good and, like, I'm loved by you and that's all I need to be. Um, and I'd never really gotten to that, like, desperation. Like, I always kind of had this background of, like, I'm, yeah, I know the things. Like, yay, Jesus, he did it. It's done. But, like, and I think that moment has kind of repeated. Like they said, as you get older, like, and as you, like, grow in your faith, you see more and more how desperate we are without Christ. You see your sin so much more clearly. You see your selfishness and your pride. Um, and it just pushes you more back into how good God is and how gracious he is. Yeah, definitely. I know I've had times in my life, too, like a lot of times it takes things getting taken from you to recognize your need. For Christ. Um, well, Heather Ann, do you want to pray for us? Okay. Dear Lord, thank you so much for today. Um, thank you for um, just your 